This podcast is dedicated to the proposition that every Christian should be a constant and devoted reader of the Bible, and that the primary business of the church and its ministry is to lead, foster, and encourage people in this life-changing habit. Okay, so here we are, I don't know, week number three or four, something like that, in Luke 19 through 24. Uh, we're going to jump in with anything it stood out to anybody over the last uh, couple weeks. We've kind of been going through this um uh, focused on chapter 19 specifically the last uh, couple weeks but we can kind of jump in wherever we have uh, with us today um, Ben of course running the mixer over there our DJ <laughs> we have uh, uh, Dave uh, Johnny Lenny Mike myself of course Judah and so let's just open it up jump right in wherever you guys want to I'm not going to try to force you guys to go linear although I kind of like that but uh, you know whatever you guys want to do. you know I was thinking about that linear and in most situations where we've skipped around it seems to have been okay but and I'm and again I can't stop anybody either you go for whatever you want maybe you saw something that struck you and you want to talk about it but because of the content of this and as Ben said our lead character, you know, what's going to happen next and where's he going? Go. It, it would it would almost uh, behoove us to go linear. And I'm not, you know, saying we have to. I'm just advocating for it because I think I agree with you, Don. In this case and others, you know, I've been all over the place. But in this, I am actually find myself going linearly because I don't want to get to the end and say, okay, here it is. And and we want to set the stage for this. That's that's my opinion on it. But Okay, so like, Judah, you brought this up before. Like You'd like to treat the Bible as if you just were on a desert island and you found this book. But how many people actually read it without actually having already an overview of what to, what to expect? Mm -hmm. But imagine you are reading this and you absolutely have no idea of what about what is about to happen on top of everything that's already happened what's about to happen next yeah. if you read this that you mentioned this cuz I, I i don't know where i read this or if i talked to friends about but if if you read this for the first time and you hadn't read it and nobody told you about it and you just read it let's say you just take luke and you're reading it it, it could almost be like a, a mystery novel or a Sherlock Holmes case because you're going through it and all of a sudden you, you, Jesus is doing this and the, the you know these people are attacking him. And then he's curing this one. This it, it has all kinds of twists and turns to it. And then all of a sudden you get to the end and you're surprised maybe at that ending as you say, okay, well, if you just read through it like that, it could be like that. And when, like, or somebody who's like, uh, maybe they're, they, they're a learner, but they don't know this somehow. Yeah. And then I found out, like, okay, so he's doing these music, uh, these miracles, but there have been other people who through history have done miracles, so I don't think this is really going to be anything spectacular. And then all of a sudden, with the resurrection, they're like, whoa, you know? Well, there was a meme going around for a while. There was guy like reading the Bible and he's like, I can't believe it. I started reading the Bible and they killed off the main character. And then the next panel's like, wait, what? <laughs> it's kind of like, well, that's it. It's just like, it's like, oh my God, the main character yeah. dies. And, 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 and yet Spoiler for, alert. For, <laughs> the, the difference is the difference uh, to, to, to take this analogy along a little bit further. The difference is that in a mystery, okay, here's the end of it. Somebody dies or you get to the, here, the main character dies, but then we continue along. It still continues in Acts, if you wanted to continue reading that. And then, of course, it continues for 
several thousand years. Revelation, it's not over yet. It's not over. It just keeps going. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's different in that way, in that respect, from from a mystery or some of the other things that we might read. Yeah. He's here with us right now. He's staring right at us. But it could be so exciting. Staring at us intently. (laughs) What are you doing? (laughs) Well, you know, uh, as as we get through here into um, the... uh, End of 19, man, this, this story is um, one that I love where it starts in verse 45 uh, where Jesus comes in and starts driving out the people selling animals for the sacrifices, right? And he's just like flipping tables. And, and the thing that always struck me about this was, well, in John 2.15, it says... This is the same story, but told by John. It says, Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them out of the temple. It's just this funny image in my mind. It's like, it's like I just imagine, like, they're out of their campsite or something like that, and Jesus is, like, grabbing, like, you know, I got some rope? And he's just, like, making this whip. And it's they're, like, like braiding a whip. Yeah, like, yeah. Braiding, and they're, like, what are you doing, Jesus? He's, like, I'm making a whip. They're, like, why are you making a whip? He's, like, you'll see. Don't worry. Yeah, like, you'll yeah. see. And he's, like, making this whip. Like, because, I mean, I always say, like, oh, Jesus made a whip. And he goes in there. I'm thinking, like, like oh, he just grabs something. But, like, no. he says he made this whip. Like, he... He makes this thing. So, I mean, this is like premeditated. Yeah. <laughs> you know, My translation says he fashioned a whip from cords. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like um, and, and he was he was, a, he was a craftsman, of course. So this is probably a pretty nice whip, you know. Yeah. Got a wood handle on it. <laughs> it's like, you know, a 12-foot, you know. Uh, they, they have all different uh, kind of plaths for whips, you know. Probably a 12-braid, you know, you know, helical, you know, kind of uh, pattern going on here. This is a nice whip. And he goes, like Indiana Jones or something. Yeah. Everybody's like, what are you doing, Jesus? You've been working on this whip for three days now. He's like, just wait. Just wait. It's going to be awesome. And he goes in and he's like whipping people and flipping tables. And this is like just like a badass moment of Jesus. You know, it's like. He, he was, I believe, you know, when I, I did some deep reading on that, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Judah, and, and that those particular lines and, you know, what was going on there in the background. And mainly Jesus was fighting the exploitation there. Not so much that they were doing the money changing because that was normal. That was traditional, Old Testament tradition. You came in, you had to have animals for sacrifice. They had to be certain kind clean. Most people couldn't get those. So people were there. Yeah, and the people were there selling those. But these money changers, those are the ones that Jesus was after. Because what you did was you could have all kinds of different money came in, Greek, Hebrew, the, and, and these money changers took advantage of the people. And like if you had a $5 bill, but you only needed a one, they, they, they would give you a one and keep the rest of it. And they just exploited the people. And that's what he was fighting there. That's what he says. You've turned this into a den of thieves because they were thieves. They robbed the people that were trying to go to give a sacrifice. That's what was going on behind the scenes here. But I want to point this thing out. Now, keep that in mind with Judah just read there and you know from john as well as right here in luke that he whipped and he got this guy wet no let me read verse 47 in chapter 19 yeah okay yeah after, yeah after i'm that, gonna catch you guys that. like this yeah like, wait, i'm gonna make sure you're paying attention when i speak go ahead after yeah. that he taught daily in the temple but the just right priest, there that's all just stop okay. there read it again 
After that, he taught daily in the temple. Is that not a contrast to you guys? I mean, think about it. Judah just said he's whipping people, he's doing this. And then calmly, Luke says, after that, he, he taught daily in the temple. Yeah. I mean, he took I, it over. I, I highlighted that. It's like just taking stuff over like this. No exactly. I, I highlighted, I go, from here to there. Here's Jesus. He's getting them out, flipping over the tables, whipping them with you know, corded uh, rope. And then, as Lenny just read, after that, he taught daily in the temple. It's nice and calm, I'm thinking. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. That struck me yeah. as like, but, wow. But, but, but kind of, somebody who doesn't, like, who's on the outside, some people hearing this, they're going to think that this guy just went, him and his gang just went and took the temple over. Yeah. Well, that might might be how it's going to sound to some people. Yeah. If if you read in 48, it says this, chapter 19 of 48, it says that they did not find anything um, to do. Basically, they were seeking to destroy him because yeah. he was the new popular teacher in town. Right. This young yeah. rabbi right. who has got zeal for his house. He's shouting, my house to be a house of prayer. You guys are scamming people. So picture, he's like a hero to the people that were getting scammed by the money changers. Yeah. And then everything that he's teaching and preaching day after day in this temple, it says at the bottom of 48 here, Right? They couldn't find anything to do with all the people who were hanging on his words. Yep. That means he was so compel compelling of a teacher and preacher, he answered all the questions, he brought forth the scriptures clearly, articulate. He, he gave parables so that any person could understand, not just the highly educated, the Pharisee, the Sadducee, whomever, but also the lowly person that maybe was illiterate, right? And so as we get into Luke 20 here, I think this is super important. Uh, this is chapter 20, verse 1. One day... Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel. Now, I'm just going to stop there because the gospel. Imagine someone's listening to this podcast right now, and they don't even know what that, that is. Like, what is the gospel? What is Jesus preaching and teaching? What does that even mean? Well, he would be, for us, he would be preaching to them the good news, the, the, the salvation and the kingdom to the so, people so, back then. So he's, he's telling them the kingdom of God is at hand. Yeah. You're waiting for this like revolution, but I'm telling you, it's right now, it's this upside down kingdom where those who are first are last and those who are last are first, where the, where the poor is the person who is loved by God. They're the one who is blessed. Like all the things that he gives in the Beatitudes, the Sermon on he's basically announcing, right, all these great things about how God has a plan for you and for your life. Now, what are you going to do with this information now that you have the good news? Are you going to love God and appreciate that he's going to deliver you from the evil one? Or are you going to go back to the old way? the Roman way, the Greek way, the fleshly way, the worldly way, the sinful way? Or are you going to listen to what God's instructions are in the Torah, right? Because they don't, they don't have the New Testament at this period, right? Right. All they have is Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, et cetera, et cetera. They know their people's history. They know the miracles of Moses and all the prophets. And I think people are really starting to catch on that this guy is a healer, this guy is a prophet. Some people are obviously whispering, this is Messiah, this is Messiah. And then what do we see at, uh, here in chapter 20, um, verse 2? Right? So I'm going to read one again. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and scribes with the elders came up to him. Tell us by what authority do you do these things? Or who is it that gave you the authority? And he answered them, I will ask you a question now. Now you tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he'll say, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say for man, then all the people will stone us to death, for they're convinced that John was a prophet, right? So you can tell that the Pharisees' mindset and the elders' mindset is very different from the common person. Mm. 
The common person has been waiting. There's these, ta- you know, these tall tales of the Messiah to come. And they believe when they see the signs and wonders from someone like John. They believe when they see what Jesus is doing. But look at the Pharisees. They think they're wise in their own eyes. They think they know the law better than anybody. Right. And they're so quick to reject the gospel. They're so quick to reject what Jesus is bringing forth. Well, that, that, that's an interesting point. And on there, first of all, there's a little background. The leading priest teachers, to me, that's the Sanhedrin. Right. This, is, this, is, this makes up the, you know, the, the council, you know, the, the main crux of the Jewish uh, people, you know, ruling class, if you will, which, including some Sadducees, of course. So two things that I get out of that, Johnny. One is when Jesus asks in, in verse 2 there at the end, who, oh, I'm sorry, where they ask him, who gave you the right? He doesn't need to answer them because Jesus has independent authority. He doesn't need to answer them. He doesn't need. To, he doesn't have authority. He has independent authority. He's God. And and and, and two, these people, these Pharisees, as you said, John, who think that they know everything, the problem with them and the elders versus the common people is they refuse to face the truth that Jesus was the Messiah because they thought that they knew it all. That's it. We keep talking about the Messiah. Some people, as you said, Johnny, were in the crop. All they thought, yeah, the, yeah this is the Messiah. Yeah, they were. They, they were. They refused to face the truth of that. Like that they were Jesus, compelled to. In, in exactly. A way. Yeah, but they didn't want to face that. That's what I get out of that. I want to. I want. <laughs> I wanted to go back and, and relate something to us today, to people today. I tried to do that to, for myself. And, and and again, Judah started out with where Jesus clears the temple, forty-five to forty-seven. First of all, one, he clears the temple. Two, in 47, now he starts teaching, but they want to kill him. They don't want him to teach. They want, they, meaning the leaders, want to kill him. So one, Jesus is very audacious. I mean, he's got to have guts to do this. First, just going in and turning over the tables, whipping people, get out of here, you thieves, and then teaching when he knows, he knows this, that they want to kill him. And now let me relate it to us. Do we have that kind of courage? Do we have the same kind of courage that Jesus does? I've been whipping we, people for and, years. And, it, and, if, <laughs> and if we don't, our courage should match the Lord's, our Lord's. My opinion, this is how I'm relating to us, how I relate to myself. Do I have that kind of courage? Would I do that? Again, we go back to that old line, Lenny. If I were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict me? Well, the, the, the irony of the whole situation, too, is this, right? What, what, what were everybody, what were they looking for in a Messiah? Savior. To overthrow who? The Roman oh, occupation. Oh. So Jesus pulls out a whip. Everybody's like, it's about to go down. Well, that's a fancy whip. <laughs> He's like, yeah. And who does he go after? His own people. His own people? Yeah. Like, how, how counterintuitive is that? They're like, okay, we're going after the Romans now? And he goes after the, the religious temple. leaders in the <laughs> temple. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, that must have just been like, like, wait a minute, like these are the these are your allies, Jesus. Like any like PR person would be like, you're going after the wrong people. You want them backing you. You want the the higher ups backing you, right? It's like if you start a if you start a business or a political movement in town, right? It's like okay, you know, I, I know you've been you know proactive with a lot of things like that in town. Yeah. You okay well, here in town? Who do, do you want? Do you want the the leaders of the town on your side or against you? Of course, with you. Yeah. So you go to them. Hey, here's what I want to do. I want to be your friend. Instead, it's like imagine you're in the same political party, but the first thing you do is go and tick off everybody that could have your back, and and that's basically what he did there. Yeah. He's Isn't like, I'm going to tick Trump off. Did? Yeah. Well, pretty much. But <laughs> but I'm not going to compare him to the Messiah. Why is he so Why is he so mad with his own people though? This is the question that should be raised. 
because of what? Idolatry. And I'd say, oh, they weren't idols. They, they, they worship Yahweh and they, they did their temples. But in other parts of the scriptures, it teaches us that greed mm-hmm. is idolatry. And as we get through the rest of Luke here, we're going to see that the Pharisees were exceedingly greedy, yeah. where they would exploit people just like those money changers. Let's go to the concert, and you, you got to buy the bottle of water for five dollars for crying it's out loud. It's eight dollars now. Yeah, eight dollars. Yeah, seven, eight, eight dollars yeah. now for a bottle of water. I mean, it's like I've joked around before. Everybody used to want to strike oil. I want to strike water for crying out loud. But it's like that's what they were doing. Okay, two turtle doves. Okay, instead of being you know two pennies, this is going to be you know. Eight dollars for your two turtle doves for your yeah, sacrifice, and you know what? You don't got the money. Well, then sorry, you can't be right with God right now. And so, I mean that. That's well, you also you were talking about like with the money changers. I'm thinking like when you go international, <laughs> you got those right. money exchange places that are in the airport. And what's one of the tips that you hear is don't change your money at the no, airport. No, don't change your money. Yeah, because the percentages are so terrible. <laughs> was the, the office thing. The, the office. He Michael Scott. He like goes and he changes the money. He changes like for like a thousand dollars or something. And then someone's like, why'd you change so much money? He's like, oh, I thought I'd need this much. They're like, no, 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 you don't need that much. You only need maybe like 200. He's like, okay. So he changes the money yeah. back. <laughs> yeah, but he's like, he walks away like $600 or something. He's like, what just happened here? Just for police, it's like this in the, in the Bible. Johnny, you were mentioned, you know, idols, and, and we'll get into that with Luke here, but we studied the 12 minor prophets. What did we learn in there? We, that the Israelites had a, had a deal with God and they kept basically rebelling against what he instructed them to do. He says, I'll be your God, you'll be my people, and this is how you are to live, to set an example to the rest of the people on the earth how to human. And they never did it. And they, and they kept they failing. They never kept it. But and they always, kept going to idols. But always there was a faithful remnant. There was always yeah. a few people and maybe yeah. a prophet or a prophetess or a priest or somebody, a military leader, a political leader, somebody who was really trying to hold it down. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe, like I said, a small remnant of faithful people and God always delivered them, no matter how bad the situation was or the storm was, those who had faith were reconciled or saved. That, that's why if we look up, you know, just backing up a little bit to verse 44, when he's weeping for Jerusalem, and that's critical. If you read the words, it's not crying, he's weeping. That, 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 if you can, that connotes something totally different. He, he's very upset and inside weeping for someone. When you weep for somebody, he's weeping. He says, they will crush you into the ground and your children with you. This, he's, he's more than a prophet here. The prophets told, in, in those minor prophets, we read all the things that would happen, and it did, and then they rebound and here he is because Jesus, as we talked about, he has tears here. He's got the tears of God because he sees the pain and suffering that's going to happen to them. And we know that, and we know from, because we, we have the advantage of looking back of, of uh, what is it, AD 70, I guess, 70, yeah, yeah, the year the 70, they destroyed. Yeah, we talked about that last week where they destroyed Jerusalem. <laughs> so he's crying for them because they won't, they won't accept him. And just like we just said here, the Pharisees just, uh, they don't want to accept the truth that I think Jesus is I think it's worse Messiah. than that, though. I think it's worse because yeah. I think what it is is when you know the truth of God, when you know the truth about the nature of reality, like who are we as humans, where do we come from, why are we here, and where are we going, when you know those, the answers to those existential questions, like the, like the Hebrews, the Israelites, the Jews knew that, God holds you to a higher standard, right? Because mm-hmm. you, you knew better than to do that. You love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? That Samaritan that you already have beef with, that's who your neighbor is. Anyone is your neighbor. Your enemy is your neighbor. Pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemy. Now go and do it. We overcomplicate all this stuff. Read what the Bible says, what God's word tells you, and do it. Just obey it. 
It's the Shema. It's like one of the oldest prayers in, in Hebrew. Keep it simple. Read your Bible, do what it says, and your life will turn out okay. And even if you think it's not going to turn out okay, when you cross over, you're going to cross over into the arms of your Messiah and, and God the Father and be reconciled in the paradise. Read your Bible, you say, because guess says. what? We can do that. But let me go back again and, and, and talk about, you know, about matching the courage of our Lord. Judah preaches, Lenny's pastor, uh, we, we all go to service because we can. We can read the Bible. We can do the 555. We can have this Bible study. But we've talked about the voice of the martyrs and, and the Christians around the world are persecuted. Could we do that? Could we do, as Jesus did, go into the temple and turn to, overturn the money changers? Could we? Let's do 47 and 48. Forget turning money changers over, you know, driving them out. Could we teach, preach, Go to service in light of the fact that we had a bunch of people that, that maybe there was a law, just like they were all around him and they were crowding around him and they were ready to string him up, but he was still preaching, still teaching. Could we, would we still go to service? Would Judah still teach? Would Lenny still teach? Would we still do this if it was outlawed? A, lo a lot of people. If it was outlawed, think yeah, about that. Yeah, a lot of people shouldn't teach. The Bible says that there's greater condemnation. There's greater judgment from God on you if you teach because you're speaking on God's behalf to other people, right? Mm -hmm. So if you err in your ways and you lead people astray, it even says, talking about the children, right? Mm -hmm. It'd be better for you if a giant heavy millstone was put around your neck and you were thrown to the ocean. That's, that's how serious this is to God. Like it, it, well, I think you say specifically, though, like in, in the in the face of opposition, though, will we keep doing what we're doing, right. following Christ? Because it's like here, you know, Jesus goes in, clears the temple, and then kind of like Ben alluded to, kind of takes over almost, it seems like, okay. which is kind of a bold move. I mean, he just goes in there, and he starts, it says he teaches daily in the temple. Like he shows up, cleans house, and it's like, okay, guys, I'm going to be teaching here from, from now on for the next few days. And I mean, that that's a... It's a pretty... Uh, yeah, the crowds flock to him. That's why you got yeah. all the haters from the Pharisees and whatnot. And then people came and listened. Yeah, and then people come and listen. And it's like, and you got the Pharisees lurking in the shadows, licking their wounds. Yeah, and, and what are they doing? Verse 47, after that, he taught daily in the temple, but the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, they're lurking in the shadows. And other leaders of the people began planning how to kill him. <laughs> no, so it's like, it's like, they're there. And he's like, okay, guys, I'll be here tomorrow. And, and then they're just like, okay, we, we got to stop this guy. He just came in and took over the temple. And he's not hiding. Yeah, he's not hiding. He's coming out here every day. All right, so this gets us into chapter 20, verse 9, which is one of my favorite. Well, hang characters. on, hang on. I don't want to leave 19 yet. I don't want to leave 19 yet. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. There's something that, 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 I always, that always strikes me here in verse 46 that I think is critical for us. Scriptures declare, my temple will be a house of prayer. And... Um, my question is, what is our priority of prayer, right? I mean, e even as even as churches and whatever, it's like we often think about churches as a place that we come and we and we sing and we uh, we preach and we hear the gospel and and that. But uh, but what about prayer? You know, is is it a house of prayer? Are we people of prayer? Because that was his priority there, right? That that he um, that it be a place that we pray. A place that we, what is prayer? Nothing more than communication with God. Right. That a place that we come and we communicate with God, and that's what He was, you know, really emphasizing there. And that that's always just a challenge to me. It's like, well, what is our priority of prayer? Jesus fought, you know, for the right, um, 
you know, for us to not party, but yeah. for the right for us to pray. <laughs> so I definitely take a lot of importance in uh, praying. There was one time where I was walking in the lobby and I was talking to Judah about uh, a hard situation. And I was like, well, all you can do is pray. And as I was walking away, he's like, wait a second. What do you mean all you can do is pray? That's the best thing we have. That's the number one weapon we have. You're praying to the creator of this universe. You're praying to the guy who knows the, you know, the stars by name, who everything aligns literally even just with, with God's word, um, with prayer. And uh, recently I had a, a couple that pulled me aside and they were super thankful. They were like, thank you so much for praying for us. I'm like, I, I don't even remember what I said or <laughs> when I prayed. And they were like, Lenny, the first time you came back from uh, your knee injury, we were standing in the parking lot and you limped over to us and you made sure that you prayed with us before we left. And you know what? Our marriage was not doing well at that point, at that time. And I was like, well, thank you for like letting me know about that victory because otherwise, Praise report. Hey, yeah. hey, right? And sometimes we even take it for granted that our prayers do not return void. That's right. And then sometimes we think that our words aren't going to get to God. Are you kidding me? Mm. He wants to have that communion. And that's why that's why uh, Judah is mentioning like, yes, a house of prayer. And are we living that type of life, not just in the church? Yeah, I say it often. He, he's a God who answers prayers. That's the kind of God we have is a good God, a holy God who answers our prayers. I did want to jump to um, into chapter 20, but... And since you're mentioning a house of prayer, Jesus also talks about prayer in chapter 20, down in verse 47, where he says, he's talking, he says, beware of the scribes. In hearing all, um, all the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes and the Pharisees who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation, right? So you talk about prayer. There is a way that is a very God-honoring prayer, which is the, the contrite heart, the humble heart, mm. the grieving heart because of things that we may have done against our God. Mm. So you can just talk to him. But there's other parts of the scriptures that say you should enter God's courts with thanksgiving and praise, mm. right? You see the way Jesus prayed. He said, you know, holy is your name. Hallowed be thy name, right? And then obviously Jesus says, you know, if you ask for it in my name. So those, from when I pray, I always try to do it that way. But, but I do want to go back to verse 9 because this, this whole thing that we're talking about with the end of chapter 19 is leading up to this parable Jesus is about you're, to give. 20. 20 verse 9. This is the parable of the wicked tenants is what mine yep. says in the English Standard Version, right? I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm just going to basically give like a, like a paraphrase, right? Which is he gives this parable that a guy basically procures land and he builds a tower and plants like a vineyard. And he, he leases out the land to workers, basically, these tenants, right? And then he goes away to a foreign place to go do more business. And he ends up sending a servant to come back and get his portion of the proceeds or the fruit or the wine or whatever, right? And they basically beat up this messenger and they run him off. So he's like, well, I'll send another servant to go collect it, right? And so he sends a second servant to go there and collect his portion of it. I mean, this is his own land. This is, by all rights, this is his, right? And they, they, they beat him up and they run him off. He sends a third person and then they wound that person and run them off. He's like, you know what? I'll send my beloved son. They'll have to listen to him. And then what do they do? They see him walking up and they basically say, this is the one who's going to get the inheritance. Let's just kill him and we'll, we'll get this land, right? And the Pharisees sort of knew exactly what he was saying here, which is he's sort of calling them out here. This is, this is 
indirectly, directly at them, so to speak. And I think it's very, very powerful because when you're leaving 19 and going into 20, he's setting the stage for this, this encounter with him. But, but I mean, they were trying to, they were planning on killing him anyways before this, but this sort of sealed the deal. And then Jesus says these very famous words here. He says, but he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And of course, Jesus is the cornerstone, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that, that whole parable, I mean, obviously, it's, it's prophetic in nature because, you know, all the, the other servants are, you know, he's referring to the prophets and the different people that would, would come. And, and uh, you know, obviously, the prophets did not fare so well, usually. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, the, the Pharisees, I mean, again, it's like Jesus is is uh, digging in here with these stories and these parables. Like, he's not backing down from calling them out. And, and I just, you know, backing up to the beginning of this chapter, which we kind of chat about for a moment, um, where where they're asking about the power, right? And he, he asked, them, well, did, it, did the authority come from, you know, did John's authority come from heaven or, or human? And it's like the wisdom that he has just even in the, these interactions where he's like calling out the Pharisees. I mean, these are like the most like learned, like David pointed out before, likely the Sanhedrin. I mean, these are like the, the top-notch people. And what is their answer when he, when he says, did John's authority come from heaven or was it human? What? How do they answer? They, they actually, they, they, they were like, this is some mental gymnastics. We got to try to catch them out here. Right. You know what I mean? And then they realize they can't. They don't yeah. have an answer. And so they, they literally are like, we don't know. Yeah, so verse 7 says, we don't know. And then I, I, I love verse 8 because it just shows this like, I don't care what you think attitude kind of. Because Jesus responded, that I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. He's you like, know. if you won't admit that John was sent from heaven and yeah. that the baptism itself is sent from heaven, not from earth, not from yeah. man, but it's divinely appointed, then get out of my face. They were more yeah. concerned with what the people thought about them than, well, yeah. than him, literally. Yeah. It's like if someone was like, don't you know who I am? And you answered with, I don't care. Yeah, and, 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 and it's, it's interesting, too, because like there's, there's and, uh, and obviously I think that we need to be able to um, stand up for what we believe and know why we believe what we believe and all that stuff, right? But um, but here this is just an interesting approach to apologetics, where <laughs> where Jesus is not trying to prove yeah. anything. It's like, look, like the proof is in what I do, and if you don't like it, then I'm not going to sit here and try to try to justify uh, this with you. I mean, he, there's other times where they say, you know, well, how do you cast out these demons? You do it by Beelzebub. I mean, like all these things. And, and he just kind of like skirts around these things. He's like, I don't have to answer your question. It's like, I don't have to defend myself to you. And he's like, I'm not going to tell you what authority. I mean, you would think, again, if it was me, I'd be like, look, I'm doing this by God's authority. You mess with me, you mess in with my dad. You mess in with God. Yeah. And Jesus is like, I'm not telling you whose authority. Yeah. It's like, think whatever you want. Mm-hmm. 
Think I'm operating with the devil if you want to. Think I'm operating. I really don't care what you think. Yeah. I'm going to do what I'm doing. And and you can go pound sand. In fact, why don't you go over there and plan how to kill me? Because I know that's the ultimate end here. Let me tell you a story about it. Yeah. And I mean, it's just like, I mean, that's basically what he's doing. That, that is, that, that's exactly it. I, want, I wanted to say, yeah, in... As I said above, when, when uh, just before John read the parable of the, what my book says, the evil farmers, the bad tenants, whatever, um, up above there we're, we're focusing on where they talked among themselves, as you said, Judah. I said before that they refused to face the truth, that he was the Messiah. So because of that, he tells them this parable of the evil farmers. It, he, he, but listen, number, verse 9, it says, Now Jesus turned to the people again and told them this story. He turned to the people, he's telling them this story, but he's really gearing this story to the Pharisees right. and, and the leaders, the scribes, all of them. It's about them, and they figure that out pretty quickly afterwards, but because they wouldn't accept him as a Messiah. So in this story, of course, the owner is God. In, in, in verse 13, as Johnny read, what will I do, the owner asked, I, I know I'll send my cherished son, is what my book says. And when I, I, I circled that cherished son, of course, we know that means Jesus. But I thought to myself, why would Luke put cherished son there? And, and I think, uh, why would Jesus say that, you know, in, in this story here? I don't know if you guys thought about this. This is what I thought of. So we read about the prophets, and I mentioned the prophets before. Jesus, in this parable, is separating himself from the prophets. By saying, beloved son, yeah. By saying, beloved son, he is separating himself from the prophets because everybody thinks he's a prophet and he is of sorts a prophet, but he's more than that. So he's separating himself by telling that he, he's, and, and again, you have to remember, he's answering the, the, the passage before where they won't accept him as the Messiah. Here he's given them a parable and they would have understood it. The people would have understood it. This is geared for them. We may not get it exactly because he, he's gearing it for the people at time and talking about a tenant farmers. That was common then. But he says, I'm the cherished son. That is saying, I'm the Messiah. You guys are not going to get this. You get it and you're not going to accept it. That's your problem. Son of David, like they shouted out as he was coming down. Exactly. And and that's what he and that's what he's saying there. And basically, you know, the, the vineyard is Israel. You know, if we look at it that way, it's Israel if we want to take the uh, metaphor. And all the all the tenants are the rulers and these messengers are prophets would, that got I would killed. Say, I would say Jerusalem mainly, even though okay. it is Israel. Yeah. And and the reason why I say that is in Matthew chapter twenty three, verse thirty seven, I, I told you the story before. I really wanted to go to the Holy Land and go to Jerusalem and like see all the stuff there. And then I got to that part in Matthew when I was reading my Bible and it says, Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I wanted to gather you uh, like children. As a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. Like, when, when I read that, I just was like, wait a minute. That's true. They did kill off, like, all the prophets, and they did kill. And I was just like, maybe it's not about a geological, you know, piece of stone somewhere like Golgotha. Maybe it's not an archaeological, like, you know, tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Maybe it's not, you know, the Temple Mount. Like, maybe, maybe I'm focused on earthly things, and I need to be focused on my soul more and focused on what the message of the gospel is and the Holy Spirit, my relationship to the Holy Spirit, my relationship to Jesus, my relationship with God the Father. After I read that passage, I mean, when I'm in here at Luke and I'm seeing this, I'm like, this is exactly what this is all about. You can't necessarily see the kingdom with your eyes, but you can experience the kingdom with your eyes. The kingdom is at hand. Even now it is. Yeah. Even now it is. With, with this with this story, I, I tried to sum it up for myself too, Johnny, just like that. And 
basically Jesus is telling a story here, and it tells the story of human sin. It's human sin, and, and it's beyond that. It's a you look at the uh, the owner here uh, <clears throat> is God, and you see a failure to give God his proper place. And, and these people, these these evil farmers or tenants, were, were were usurping power that belonged to God that should rightfully be God's. That's what they were doing, and that is what the Pharisees or some of them in, in some of the other leaders of the time were trying to do. Usurp God's power and not give him what was his due, not give him his proper place. It's sin. And pride, of course, we always talk about that. I am glad you pointed out the uh, the part where it says cherished or beloved son, because that does harken back to even John 3.16, <clears throat> right? It's like, you know, whoever believes in the son, right? That's like, that's the whole thing. It's the belief in the son and whoever receives him as, as Lord and, and Messiah and Savior. If we go down to um, chapter 20, um, this is verse uh, 41 through 44, right? Mine's titled, Whose Son is the Christ? Christ meaning the anointed one by God, right? But he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? Remember, he's coming down to Jerusalem, and what did the, what did the guy say to him? Son of David. And they're like, oh, be quiet, be quiet. He says, son of David. He shouts it even louder, right? So people knew who Jesus was because of just their belief and their faith, right? So, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says this in the book of Psalms. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord. So how is he his son? Right? So this again is Jesus ultimately being like, I am the one. I'm the one that the prophets talked about. I'm the one that, you know, Moses was excited about. Abraham was excited. I am the one. I think there's a part in um, the Gospels where he's talking to the Pharisees and he says something along the lines of like, you cling to those scriptures because you think that in them you have life. But those are the very scriptures that testify of me, right? That I would come for you, right? So I just think it's very powerful that Jesus is building up this whole case against the Pharisees, driving them out of the temple, sort of usurping it, as you guys were saying, the people are eating it up. They're hanging off his every word. He's giving parables that are basically being like, they're going to kill me. Like you said, let me tell you the story about it. And now he's saying, I am the, the, the one. I am, I am, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he definitely wasn't backing down from it. I mean, he was pushing, pushing forward. Uh, with it so I do like hearing everybody else's because it's I'm I'm very new to the Bible yeah um, you know I mean as far as the church you know started about you know eight years ago is you know you guys know but as far as the Bible that's that's been very very new you know reading it on a consistent basis and hearing other people's uh, you know view on it really just kind of makes my my brain go you know, in all these different directions, because it's it's all these different ways that I didn't even think of looking at it. Yeah. You know, it's like I read it, and you know, it said one thing, and then you know, John, you know, what you say might mm. say one thing, and Dave, and you know, and but you know, every single one of them are aligned with Jesus, and I'm, you know, yeah, going through the process of figuring out exactly what that means. Well, it's it's like I like to look at it like layers of an onion, because it's not so much that. I mean, because if, if the things that we look at are contradictory of each other, then, then that's clearly not a good interpretation. But when you look, there's layers of it, right? It's like well, we talk about the, the throwing the money changers out of the temple. There's so many layers. There's the aspect of prayer. There's the aspect of him, you know, fashioning the whip. There's the, him going against the Pharisees. It's like there's so many, like, it's, it's like you can dig deep in, 
these things and even to the even to the word uh, level you can really uh, crack into these things and and there's life in all of it and I think it just it helps to illuminate it and uh, and it becomes a three-dimensional picture rather than a two-dimensional picture that as a deeper we go uh, we, we start to see um, hopefully the character of Christ and then and we can you know learn from it as well which is why learn from it and have that and see that and follow yeah. that yeah exactly know? it's like being a kid you like you know someone reads you a story when you're a little kid you're like oh i know that story and then you get older and you can read it and then you read it and you like get to see the illustrations in the book and then somebody gets you the pop-up version of the book and then yeah. all of a sudden there's moving interacting parts and the three and then you're like wow this I, lo- I actually love this story and it becomes one of your favorite childhood stories that you pass on to your kids and it's like the bible is very much like what judah is saying the, yeah. you can go surface level and just follow um what the narrative is and the story of jesus or you can read the bible in its totality which i would say is 66 books right mm-hmm. and you could read the uh the what is it 39 books of the old testament and it paints a very clear picture of humanity and God's relationship to them in the creation. And then you read the New Testament, which I want to say is 27 books. 27. Yeah. And what you see in that 27 books is how God is fulfilling his promise about what he said in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. how he would save humans from this fallen, messed up world that we make terrible every day with every decision we make. Because every decision you make in life, you're at a crossroads where you can either go true north and go with what God wants, or you can go left or you can go right. And oftentimes we just do the selfish thing. And what God wants from us is the selfless thing. We could either be loving, which is difficult, or we could be hateful. We could be greedy or we could be generous. And it's always like that with God. It's he's pretty cut and dry with things. There's either the right way to do things, righteousness, or unrighteous. And and, and what's crazy is whenever we do, he gives us the free will to do whichever way we want to turn. But there's consequences for every action and every reaction that we have. So that's why I said before, if you want to keep it simple, read your Bible and do what it says, and God says you're going to be blessed. But if you disobey it, you're allowed to, you can, but let the chips fall where they may. And if we look at the history of the world, whether it's secular world history, American history, or biblical history, right, there's, there's a fact pattern, mm-hmm. which is we make a mess, we kill each other, we, I mean, insert evil things. And we try to mask it. Because, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm off the soapbox. I'm going to come back to your generosity yeah. in the future. You yeah. were just mentioned, but there's something ahead. But I want to back up because we up, we skipped um, we skipped over. I guess the subtitle is discussion about resurrection. Still in chapter 20, verse 27, because mm-hmm. Johnny went ahead to 41, which is fine. But um, that section there, where now, <laughs> yeah, so much for the weather, Johnny. <laughs> 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 we're we're now. We, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the elders were pummeling Jesus, or trying to. Mm-hmm. And now the Sadducees jump in. Right. They take over. It's like, okay, tag team. Right. Then Jesus was approached by some Not, Sadducees. What, what do they say? That there, there's nothing that what unites you more than a common enemy or something yeah, like that? Yeah, 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 like, yeah. Which they say is why grandparents and grandkids get along so well, because they yeah. have a common enemy. Yeah, because oh, okay. yeah. the, the, uh, Jipa. 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 Because the, uh, the, and it's a good point, because I think Judas making the Sadducees and the Pharisees didn't really get along no. too well. But with a common enemy, yeah. they did. <laughs> well, they well, did, so that's Jipa. a good point. So here in 27... After, as I said, the Pharisees and the scribes, the elders pounded on Jesus or plotting to kill him or, to, you know, trying to trick him with questions. Now it's the Sadducees approach, and they're going to pose a question. And, of course, they pose that question. Teacher, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies leaving a wife but no children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child 
who will carry on the brother's name. And then they go on, well, suppose this happens. And they give them all these suppositions. And finally, the woman also, they'd so tell us, they say, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? All seven were married to her. In other words, she, according to the law, their law, Jewish law and Mosaic law, she would have had to marry each of the brothers if, if, if they died successfully. That's it, the, the gist here. So, died successfully. Yeah, successfully died. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 successively. Yeah, so successfully, I've successfully died. I'm going to heaven. Yeah, but 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 so finally, the woman dies, and it, and it says in the resurrection, uh, you know, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Now understand this: if you don't know, and probably most of you know about the Sadducees, they didn't believe in resurrection. Right. That was what separated That's why they them. They were sad. You see. <laughs> oh. Well, that was not a plan for anyone listening. That was not a planned pun. But anyway, the, the Sad- I love a good dad joke. Sorry, <laughs> the, the, the Sadducees did not believe in resurrection as the Pharisees did. So here they are asking Jesus a question about the res- about resurrection, saying, "So whose wife will she be in resurrection?" Jesus replies, and this is great: marriage is for people here on earth. But in the age to come, those worthy of being those worthy. I, I could just see him basically pointing out to them, yeah. you know, saying like point those worthy yeah. of being raised from the dead. Yeah. Well, yeah. He's looking at them, right? Yeah. 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 Will neither marry nor be given in marriage and they will never die again. In this respect, they'll be like angels. They are children of God and children of the resurrection. He says that to them first. And now. Knowing that they don't believe in resurrection, this is great. Yeah, exactly. He says, but now, as to whether the dead will be raised, even Moses proved this, and he's going right at them now. He's meeting them, as Lenny would say, intentionally, right where they're at. He's meeting them because they do not believe in resurrection. He says, as to whether the dead will be raised, he says that it says, even Moses proved this when he wrote about the burning bush. Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, he referred to the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isis, this is Moses referring, and the God of Jacob. So he's the God of the living, not the dead, for they're all alive to him. We can see that in, that's in Exodus 3, uh, chapter 3 somewhere, I think maybe verse 1. Uh, that, yeah, so, so, <laughs> and they go, now, now, now he proves that him. he confronts them right where they are, where they don't believe in resurrection. He says, okay, he's the God of the living, not the dead. Right. And now here's, I didn't even highlight that part, but that was interesting. Jesus, as Judah said, but look at verse 39 and 40. <laughs> this cracks me up. I don't know if you, if you guys got this, listen to this. Well said, teacher, remarks some of the teachers of religious law. Who are the teachers of religious law? <laughs> the, the scribes yeah, and the Pharisees. Pharisees. They're now saying, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're going, <laughs> they forgot well which said, side yeah. they were on. <laughs> exactly. Well said, teacher, because they believe in resurrection. I mean, I can't get over this. Jesus just pummels these people with words. He's such a great yeah. speaker. And and then no one dared to ask him any more <laughs> questions. Yeah, we're, we're yeah. It's we're just, I, I get so excited over this. It's just phenomenal because I, I highlight that. I go, wait a minute. 
remarks some of the teachers of religious law well said over here at the beginning of chapter 20 they're plotting to kill him right now they're saying well said <laughs> well, teacher yeah. i don't know yeah. you guys yeah. talk about well, it I I, I I think i think for the the sake of time we're, we're going to land the the plane here but there's still like so much more because we, we even skipped over the the uh the one about the uh yeah the the the, the taxes for caesar yeah. and yes. stuff like that yeah. and i mean and again it's it's these battle of wits and uh, and and they're trying to pin him down, and they can't. Pin him down, and they can't. And then, like you said, that always kind of was so funny because it's like the Pharisees or Sadducees Caesar, like we're gonna get him. Pharisees, like yeah, go get him. And then they're over on the side. <laughs> now all of a sudden they're on his side, on Jesus' like, side. I think like, like, like he, he's just like messing with these people. They just must be going home, like hanging their heads in shame. And, and like yeah, what just happened? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. and, and again, that that is ultimately why they wanted to kill him. But with that, <laughs> let's let's land the plane here because we could go on for, for probably another hour or two. So uh, so this is good good conversation. Let's pick back up next week. I want to stay in, in, in 20 some more because I think there's a lot more good stuff in here. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's it. So 19 through 24, we'll pick back up next week. Well, we hope that you enjoyed our discussion today on the Thriving in the Word podcast. We invite you to leave a rating or a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Also consider sharing it on social media. We can't wait to be back together with you at the Thriving in the Word podcast.